Praise God. All right. I'll catch our breath here for just a second. All right. Open your Bibles once again, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Now, we mentioned this morning, or Pastor mentioned this morning, that I wasn't sure what I was going to title this message. I think I have settled on a title, but I'm going to let you choose what you want to title it after you hear what I'm thinking, because that's just the way I'm going to do it tonight. But that's all right. Uh, So I have titled the message... Ask, and you shall receive. Now, I was playing around with some other ideas, and I thought maybe I should say something about questions asked, questions answered. Well, that might have been okay, too. And then on the way home from church this morning, I thought, well, maybe I could use something like, the answer, my friend, is not blowing in the wind. And I thought, nah, I better not use that because I might get sued for copyright infringement or something. I don't know. So we'll just settle on ask, and you shall receive. All right. Open your Bibles if you haven't already. Mark chapter 9. Now tonight's text, I will tell you, admittedly, is quite short. Sweet. We're going to be out of here in 10 minutes. Not if you've ever sat. Never mind. Anyway, uh, it is quite short. We're really only going to be looking at three verses tonight. And you know that that's dangerous in a Baptist church. Uh, But there is, however, even with these just few verses, there is somewhat to unpack and to understand. And I'll tell you, Pastor can tell you, because we've all seen how much is packed into every single verse of Scripture. And Psalm, I tell you what, Psalms has so much packed into it. And we're looking at this morning in Sunday school, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to tell you right now, the book of Proverbs is hard to sit down and read sometimes if you want to start here and end over here in 10 minutes. You can't do it because there's too many nuggets of wisdom that you just have to think about. But tonight we're going to see what happens here. We've got three verses, Mark chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. Now before we jump right in, Let's be reminded for just a moment, if you will, of the context in which this account of events takes place. Now, if you recall from last week, Jesus is coming down from the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, where these three disciples were given a glimpse of the true glory of Jesus and that of the Father as well. You see, their eyes and their ears, in other words, their their fuller understanding was opened just enough to taste of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is, when Jesus Christ reigns as king over all things spiritual and physical, Jesus Christ is king. And during this time on the mountain, I believe... This three disciples' knowledge was increased supernaturally. And how, why do I say that? Well, evidently, at least Peter knew just who exactly Moses and Elijah were when he saw them. Then, of course, as the cloud overshadowed them, you remember the account, as the cloud overshadowed them, they heard audibly, directly from the Father in heaven who said, This is my beloved Son 
hear ye him. And as soon as they were able, the cloud dissipated. There was no one. There wasn't Moses. There wasn't Elijah. There was no one but Jesus standing there with them just as he was previously. Now, it was clearly an extraordinary circumstance and an unimaginable, I can't even get the word out, unimaginable revelation. And in the wisdom of Christ, he charged them on the way down to keep what they had seen to themselves for now. He said, keep what you have seen to yourselves until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. Now, as I thought about this account, I was reminded that there have been times in even my own life when I have gained a deeper understanding of some situation or some occurrence, or from time to time, quite frankly, I've gained a deeper understanding of, of a particular passage of Scripture. And that afterward, my thoughts, immediately after getting that understanding, my thoughts are led to ponder and to wonder about some other related thing or maybe some other related passage of Scripture. And in that wondering, it seems that somehow the thoughts that I have, the questions that I have about that other related incident or passage, the questions seem much more meaningful. Now, what in the world are you talking about? Well... Have you ever had the experience that while sitting here listening to a message and pastor's been preaching, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it now. Because you've never seen that before. And however the Holy Spirit has led, now all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, why have I never seen that before? And immediately think, well, that leads to this over here. And that means that Jesus did this. And that means, and you just start going down this whole route of new understanding. And and the questions that you're asking in your mind are so much more spiritual and so much more mature than why did why did they call out 12 baskets of food or why did they call out seven loaves or why did they only call out two fish? I mean those kinds of questions are fine but they're not terribly spiritual on the surface. But after you gain some understanding the questions all of a sudden seem to change because God is working in our hearts. Well, it seems like that is exactly what happened in tonight's text. These disciples, as we've just talked about, have experienced a wonderful revelation. They've seen some incredible things. And now their hearts have been stirred to ask the Lord about a, about a prophecy that they didn't understand. And this was remarkably different than the comments and the questions of recent past from these men. And the answer also seems to be on a notably deeper level. Now let's read our text and then we'll try to unpack what in the world am I talking about. Read our text, Mark chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. We've got the context and then it says in verse 11, And they, that's the disciples, asked him Jesus, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come, that is Elijah? And Jesus answered and told them, 
Elias verily come first, and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things, and be set at naught. But I say unto you, that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we look to this short passage, Lord, there is no means by which we as frail fallible humans fleshly and carnal from time to time there's no way that we could possibly understand all that you would have except Lord that you have given us the Holy Spirit of God to lead us into all truth so Father I would ask tonight that you would give each one of us especially me Lord that special unction Father to open our understanding and to hear what you have to say to us tonight and help us to be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to apply that in our own lives tonight. God, I'd ask for your wisdom, not mine. May your wisdom, may your voice be heard, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the first things that came to mind as I read through this was the verse in that letter of James that tells us, if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him that's James chapter 1 and verse 5 notice though in our text it wasn't for the knowledge of what the scribes say in our text verse 11 says why see they knew what the scribes said But now they wanted to know why. They needed the wisdom behind what the scribes had penned. Don't you find that sometimes to be true also when we're reading our daily passages? We know what the Bible says. But sometimes, why, Lord, did you say it that way? How, Lord, does that apply to my life? I'm not in a ship on the Sea of Galilee. I've, I've got food in the refrigerator, so praise God for that. But why, why does seven loaves or five loaves and two fish, why does that apply to me? Sometimes I believe that there is a lack of clarity and understanding either the pretext, which is what comes before, or the context of what we read, or the relevance of, and important for us in any given day. Okay, Lord, well, I've read this today about what the scribes read. How does that apply to my job today when I'm going to work? I don't know. Look, though, at the whole question that the disciples asked in verse 11. Look once again in verse 11. They asked him, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? Well, as we look at it and as we read it, Are we familiar with the knowledge that these men had? Are we familiar with what the scribes wrote about Elias must first come? Does that mean anything to us? Does that spark a memory in our minds about what we've read in Scripture? And if not, that's okay, because we'll look at it tonight. But those are the kinds of things that the wisdom behind what we read is really what God wants us to glean from his scriptures. 
Or, as we're reading our daily passages, do we just kind of read it and go on, boy, I don't know what that means, but okay, it's in the Word of God, I'll just keep going. I, you know, okay, admit, sometimes I do that too, okay? I mean, you know, and, and not to call her out, but I see Peggy smiling back there, so I think that maybe sometimes even pastor does that. Ah, see, well, I got you right there. Anyway. All right, let's be, stop being so silly. I think we can pose two questions in looking at, what the scri- looking at what verse number 11 says. I think we can pose two questions, and let's find the answers in Scripture. First, what scribes are these disciples talking about? What scribes? Second, when he says, why say the scribes that Elias must first come? What first come? What, before what? If Elias must first come, he must first come before something else. Well, what is it that he's coming before? Because Elias lived a long time ago. So what is he talking about? Well, we do know that Elijah, I'm just going to call him Elijah because that's just more clear to me. Elijah lived several hundred years prior to this account. If the, uh, I don't know, maybe you have it in your Bibles, if if the date estimations are anywhere close, like in the beginning of your Bible, in the the different books of the Bible, if those date estimations are anywhere close, and, and, and frankly I believe they are, because I believe that God has put it in the hearts of scholars to look these things up, just for reference, the first mention of Elijah was somewhere according to the book of Kings, somewhere around 900 years before Christ. That's a long time. And the scribes that are referenced here, I believe those scribes are Malachi and perhaps even Isaiah. Now, why do I say that? Well, we'll see what they wrote in just a few minutes. But before we do, let's Let's see for a moment about this man, Elijah. What do you know about the man, Elijah? Do you know where he was born and and who his parents were and where he grew up? No, you don't. (laughs) Because unless Wikipedia has suggested something, the Bible doesn't tell us. There's not a whole lot of information. In fact, there's no information recorded in Scripture that I have found. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But there's no information recorded in Scripture about his parents, about who they were, about his upbringing. He's first mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, where the Bible says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. That's the first we've heard of this man, Elijah. Now, the Lord, after his statement to Ahab, the Lord then sent Elijah into the wilderness for some time. And you can read about that and several other accounts of Elijah's service to the Lord throughout the rest of 1 Kings. Well then, in fact, turn with me if you would. Let's take a look at 2 Kings. And if I can get that right, that'll be a good thing. 2 Kings. And uh, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter number 1. 2 Kings chapter number 1. Here we go. 
Second Kings chapter number one. After all the accounts of Elijah throughout the first Kings, then we find here in chapter one of Second Kings, look with me in verses number seven and eight. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was an hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Well, that's interesting. Now, throughout his ministry, as we read through the accounts of Elijah, most of his time was spent in and through wilderness areas. After he spoke to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain, the Lord sent him out into the wilderness, out to the brook Cherith, and he was fed by the ravens, and he was given food there by the brook, and then he was sent off to a widow woman, and then he was sent here, and he, was sent, and he spent a lot of time in the wilderness. His message, Elijah's message, over and above all else, was that there was a God in Israel, and God is the one to turn to in all trouble, and God is the one who ought to be worshipped as God always. Is, uh, I tell you what, uh, I, boy, Israel was, was, they were in some hard times. Well, let's turn your Bibles real quick, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, this is where we were talking about Elijah and who he was. Isaiah, then, chapter number 40. This is interesting, and I'm going to make a correlation, so don't think I'm going heretical on you or something. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse number 3. Now, watch what the Bible says. The voice of him... That crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now this is of course, and we can see it in Scripture, and we will in just a moment, this is of course the foreshadowing of John the Baptist, the voice in the wilderness. But I can also see, in studying just a little bit of this man Elijah spent so much time in the wilderness, I can see how Elijah and his character and his message kind of also fit into this prophecy, at least into the description. Because the structure of this declaration speaks of the Lord. That is, if you look at how that's written, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the Lord Jehovah as the self-existent and eternal. And verse 3 ends with, for our God. That is Elohim. That is the supreme God. So, just the grammatical structure can indicate... Reference also to Elijah, who was speaking of God, the Father, God the Eternal, God the Self-Existent One, and Elijah, that voice in the wilderness. Now, Isaiah does go on to say in verse number 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. And then again in verse 11, it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Now that, of course, is speaking here of Christ. So what to take from that is that there are clear parallels between Elijah and this future 
John the Baptist. Now, if you would, turn over to Malachi. Where is Malachi? That's right before Matthew. Just in case you were wondering. Malachi, once you find it there, uh, turn to Malachi chapter number 4. Now, I said earlier that I believe that Isaiah and Malachi were the scribes that the disciples were talking about there in Mark. And look at what Malachi writes in the end of chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He writes in verse 5, Behold, this is a prophecy, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So the scribe, the prophet Malachi, has written about Elijah coming. Now, it's interesting because as I was looking at this, Malachi, by the estimation of the dates, was somewhere around three or 400 B.C., if I have that. Maybe it was 200. Anyway, it was hundreds of years after Elijah. Okay? Now, just like that, in that little bit of a study, just like that, Scripture has answered both of our questions that we pose. Who were the scribes that we were talking about? They were the Old Testament prophets. And what was the must first come? Before what? And just as Malachi says, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Scripture has answered both of our questions And so we can get back to our text, Mark chapter 1, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 9. And when we can read now verse number 11, and they asked him saying, Why say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? Now we also have the understanding and the knowledge of what they were talking about. Why then did the scribes say Elijah must first come? Because Elijah was translated long ago. Well, if you would... We're going to look at some more scripture. Turn to the first chapter of Mark. We're going to turn back to the first chapter of Mark. A little Bible study going on tonight, I think. First chapter of Mark. And now see what Mark has said in verse number 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then jump to verse number 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Indeed, I have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And now that brings us back to the disciples' question. Why did the scribes say that Elijah must first come. Well, the beautiful part of this whole passage is now this is where Jesus gives them the wisdom that they were seeking. He first lays the foundation of knowledge concerning Elijah's work in the words of the prophets and scribes, uh, the words that the prophets, the scribes, recorded. Verse number 12 in our text, Mark chapter 9 and verse number 12, Jesus answered and told them, Elias, verily, cometh first and restoreth all things 
and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. Now remember, if you would, how Elijah was just suddenly on the scene. We read that in 1 Kings. Elijah was just suddenly there and demonstrated a number of times, and in some pretty major ways, by the way, that God was still on his throne and was able to save and to heal and to provide. Now, even though Israel here was really in kind of a tailspin of sorts, they were spiritually spiraling downward. But you see, God brought Elijah on the scene and set the record straight that God would forgive and heal if they would just turn back to God. He restoreth all things. Isn't that what he said here in our text? Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And then he talks about the scribes, especially Isaiah, also recorded how this, remember how we read it a minute ago, the arm of the Lord shall rule for him, and that's talking about Jesus Christ. Isaiah also recorded how this Christ of God would be treated, how he would be despised and rejected and set at naught, as our verse number 12 states. If you really want to look at that, we'll not look at it tonight, but Isaiah chapter 53 holds that accounting of how he was despised and rejected by everyone. Also, if you will, through the other so-called, if you want to call them minor prophets, as they're commonly called minor prophets, while they do speak in those, in those books that they wrote, uh, they do speak of the judgments and the wrath of God, they also speak of the messianic, that's the Messiah, deliverance. And that's deliverance through Jesus Christ. And of course, God's promise, as we've already seen, to close out the Old Testament, Malachi also promised that Jesus would come to deliver them. Now, Jesus goes on to explain in this text how that last promise of God is being fulfilled. Now look once again with me at verse number 13. I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Hold your place here for just a minute. Turn back to Mark chapter 1 again. Not too far. Mark chapter 1. It's a lot of study tonight. Didn't think we were going to do that tonight, did you? It's only three verses. Come on. I'm sure glad we've got a book of 66 books that tells us. Mark chapter 1. Looking once again with me, starting in verse number 2. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In verse 5, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Now when Jesus said in our text that Elias is indeed come, there have been some who have tried to say that John the Baptist was a literal reincarnate Elijah. Well, I'm going to say that that thought process can only breed confusion. Scripture is very clear in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die. 
and after this, the judgment. Well, okay, we got you there, mister, because if you're talking about this man, Elijah, Elijah didn't die. So what do you say about that? I say that God is true and every man is a liar. I say that Elijah was taken home to glory not to be given up to come back to earth just so he could experience death. That's not how God works. There is no such plan in God's economy that if you were good enough in the first life, you get to go and do it over again. Just because you were so effective, go do it again. Bring some more people. That's not how God works. Nor is there any plan that says if you were really, really bad, you've got to go back and try it again. Only this time you're going to go back as a stink bug. Or, uh, or something else. I don't know. There is no plan in God's economy that says after you die, you get to go and do it again. So Elijah did not literally come back as John the Baptist. The truth is that there is one life. Now I know that you have heard, and possibly you've even said the words, boy, you are your father. Uh, well, okay, not really, but maybe I look like him. Maybe I act like him. Maybe I talk like him. Maybe, maybe I'm kind of like him. Or maybe somebody says, wow, when did you turn into your mother? Husbands, don't you ever say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You dwell with them according to knowledge. Anyway, um, the, you see, these statements, they're not factual truths. They're fictional statements. But boy, we sure like to hang on to them. You are just the spitting image. Okay, well, first don't spit on me. And maybe I look like him, but I'm not my father. God's made me unique. God's made you unique. God made John the Baptist unique. God made Elijah unique. Jesus is stating here that the character and the effective witness that was in Elijah is the very character and effective witness that was in John the Baptist. It could be said that John lived in the spirit of Elijah. Now they were both rugged wilderness dwellers, as we've seen, with the power of God upon them. Elijah restored all things, bringing awareness back to God throughout Israel. John the Baptist fulfilled the preparation of the way of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the spiritual desert and wilderness of depravity of men. Jesus concluded by saying, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed. If Elijah was favored by God and glorified without having to experience the physical death, there's no part of the plan of God that says he will send him or other certain ones back out of glory just to go through that physical death once again so they can be glorified again. That doesn't happen. But God does send folks in the spirit into this physical world. I'm reminded of Joshua. As he was preparing to go into battle, he lifted up his eyes and he saw a man standing before him with his sword drawn. And he had to ask him, are you for us or are you against us? That was a 
spirit of God standing before them. Jacob, I'm also reminded, wrestled all night long with a man, the Bible tells us, only to be revealed that in the morning that man was not a man, it was a spirit of God. So yes, God can and does send spirits into our presence to minister to us and to guide us when we need them. We've heard all kinds of accounts of an angel being in our presence and all of a sudden I look to go turn around and thank them and thank them and they weren't there. Whether those are all actual accounts, I can't tell you. What I can tell you is what the Bible says is true. God can work that way. But God did not send Elijah back as John the Baptist. If there were a way for God to send folks back to try again, then do you understand that the promise of eternity in heaven is suddenly made false? Once you die and you are taken to heaven, the Bible says die once and after this the judgment, and if we're in heaven, we're there for eternity. Maybe God will use us. Maybe God will send us back as a spirit to minister to someone. But we're not coming out of glory to exist on this earth once again. Rather, what can we take out of this passage? Well, we can take that John the Baptist was anointed with the very same spirit that Elijah was anointed with. You and I, friends, can be anointed with the very same spirit that John the Baptist had, that Elijah had, that other prophets of the Old Testament had, that other disciples and apostles of the New Testament had. We can be anointed, friends, with the very same spirit that Paul the Apostle had. Because the truth is, Jesus Christ is our Savior. He has left us here to work on His behalf. Because others that don't know Christ, they kind of operate on that, I'll believe it when I see it. So guess what? We're here to be seen. If we're going to operate our lives with the right spirit, people will see Jesus Christ and understand that he is alive. Jesus Christ is our Savior. The truth is that Jesus Christ will grant the wisdom that you and I need. Read our Bibles. Knowledge is good. You can't operate without knowledge. Knowledge is good and it's wonderful and it's needful. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's what the disciples did. They asked God, why did the scribes say that Elias must first come? And he told them. He gave them the understanding. He gave them the wisdom. Friends, if you don't understand something from the scriptures, continue to search out the scriptures because the Bible will help us understand it. The Bible is a self-explanatory book. All we have to do is keep searching. But I don't understand. Keep searching. But I've searched and searched and searched. Keep searching. Keep praying. Are you asking for the wisdom when you read? Or are you just like, I don't understand it. I'm just going to read it. Okay, I've read it for a day and go on about my day. Ask for the understanding. Ask for the wisdom. God will not upbraid us but will give us the understanding that we need. Like these disciples, if we ask, all we have to do is ask, we will receive.
Ask and you shall receive. Pastor, would you come? Well, you learned something tonight, didn't you? Not all scripture is easy. <laughs> and it does take a little bit of a little bit of work. And sometimes if you are studying those kind of things there, God sends a preacher along and explains it all to you. There you get it right down there. But listen, <clears throat> we have not just simply anointed by the Holy Spirit, because in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit of God came upon them. You and I have been indwelt yes, sir. with the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit that empowered Elijah and Elisha and many of the Old Testament prophets is the same Holy Spirit that has indwelt every one of us. Amen. Which means that what they did, we can do. If we will do as they have done, and that is to give the Holy Spirit, all of us completely yield our lives to him. He can accomplish in us the things he accomplished to them. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for, uh, Lord, the guidance and the direction that we have from other portions of Scripture to be able to put the, uh, the Scriptures together. And so, Lord, that we realize that there are, there are things that are put in the Bible that, Lord, only the redeemed of the Lord can completely and truly understand and receive. The Lord, when, when the unsaved try to read the Word of God, it doesn't make a lot of sense to them because they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to guide them. We thank you. Father, for the wisdom of sealing us and giving us the Holy Spirit to instruct us and to lead us into all truth. May we not abuse him. May we not grieve him. May we not quench him. And Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.